0: Well, I really am glad to be here this morning. I'm glad that all of you are with us, too. And before I get into the sermon today, I I wanted to give you a prayer update. So many of us are praying about the situation in Ukraine, and and so many are suffering there, and we want to continue to lift them up. But I had a a prayer request that's actually kind of positive. Uh, Some of you might remember one of our missionary partners, a a man named Zhenya. I won't give his full name right now since... Uh, this service is going online. Um, But I've been in touch with Zhenya. He and his family lived in Ukraine for many years, and right now he is in Poland, very near the border of Ukraine. He's been helping refugees, working with churches, doing all kinds of things that you wouldn't hear about in the news. And he has shared uh, just lots of stories, and, and I just wanted to share this with you. And he was talking about one of the areas that were under attack. This is just a few days ago. He said, The air raid sirens are going off more and more often. There are no bomb shelters in this area, and many houses do not have cellars where people could hide. The church has been praying together every day at 10 o'clock in the morning. If the sirens go off at that time, the people stay together and meet the danger on their knees praying, since they don't have any other way of protecting themselves those who are very superficial in their faith are now firmer believers. And many of those who have rejected the gospel are now among those appealing to God for help. This disaster has definitely brought many to Christ. That's that's amazing. Even in such a terrible situation, God is doing good. And that's, he, that's how he works. Uh, but we want to pray for that to continue. We want to pray for the, the pastors and the churches and, and people like Zhenya who are working. And we want to pray that even though uh, we hate that this is going on, God can do good. He can bring good out of a horrible situation. So please continue to pray for them. And we're going to be looking for other ways to help as a church. Well, we're in the second week of our series called Kingdom stories. And in this series, we're looking at several parables that Jesus told. Uh, last week, we used a specific definition of the word parable. We said that a parable is a story that uses familiar objects and familiar character, characters in order to communicate a spiritual truth. So it's really kind of cool. Uh, with a parable, you get to hear a good story and you learn something along the way. And in this series, we're focusing on parables that teach us about the kingdom of God, because that's our theme for this year. And uh, most of you should remember what the kingdom of God is, right? This kingdom is any place where God's rule and his reign have truly begun. Now, I'm excited to look at today's parable, because it's going to show us what life is like in the kingdom of God. Jesus will teach us that God's kingdom is a place where debts are canceled and sins are forgiven. And this is good news for all of us because we have all sinned, right? We all need to be forgiven. So let's jump in. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Matthew chapter 18. We're gonna read a story about a big debt. Actually, it's a ginormous debt. But before we get to the story, we need to see why Jesus tells this story in the first place. So let's go to Matthew 18, and we'll start with verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So Peter asks Jesus a question about forgiveness. And with this question, you sort of get the idea that Peter thinks of himself as generous and big-hearted, like he's willing to forgive the same person five or six or even seven times. What a guy, right? Well, the truth is, when you compare Peter's comment to the rabbinic law, he actually is being generous, Because according to the rabbinic law, if you forgive the same person just three times, you're done. You don't have to forgive anymore. But Jesus says, no, three times is not enough. Even seven is not enough. Jesus says that we should be willing to forgive 77 times. In other translations, like the old King James, the number is 70 times seven. But the actual number is not what's important here. Jesus is not saying, hey, you need to forgive 77 times and then on number 78, you're off the hook. No, God is is teaching us that he wants us to forgive indefinitely. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Stop counting, just let it go. And for some of us, that just doesn't feel quite right. let it go? I mean, does it really make sense to let someone run all over us and then just smile and say, hey, that's okay. You go ahead. You keep on doing me wrong and I will forgive you every time. Doesn't that kind of make you a doormat? Isn't that inviting someone to hurt you again and again and again? Well, these are good questions. And do you know what would help us answer these questions? We need a good parable. And fortunately, Jesus has the perfect story for this situation. Now, I'm going to read this entire parable all at once, and then we'll go back and take a closer look. So follow along with me. Matthew 18, starting at verse 23. So remember, Jesus tells Peter to forgive 77 times, and then he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, And in anger, his master delivered him to the, to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So that's the story of the big debt. And this parable is pretty straightforward, right? You're smart people. I'm sure you figured this out. Uh, the king represents God. And servant number one could be you or me. Servant number two represents someone that we struggle to forgive. And the point of the story is what? If you are servant number one and you don't forgive servant number two, do not expect God to forgive you. And yes, all that is true. But let's dig a little deeper because the more we understand this story, the more we'll see the deeper truth that Jesus communicates here. You see, we, we all have cultural barriers that make it difficult for us to, to understand this parable in a deeper way. Uh, for one thing, we don't normally deal with talents and denarii and ancient Roman money, but these currencies are actually a very significant part of this story. So let's go back and we'll see what's going on here. In verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So, servant number one owes the king a lot of money. How much money? 10,000 talents. But exactly how much is that? Well, I did some studying this week, and I found out it's not really that simple to convert ancient Roman money into American dollars. But I can give you a a rough estimate. So first, I learned that one talent equals 20 years' wages for the average day worker. Not 20 days, 20 years. So that, that is a lot of money. And let's do some math. Uh, are we okay with doing a little math on a Sunday morning? I'm not sure I am, but we'll try anyway. So here we go. In today's dollars, the annual income for an average day worker might be around $36,300. And remember, one talent, just one, equals 20 years wages. So multiply 36300 One year's wages times 20, and you get $726,000. And remember, that's just one talent. So we need to play this out. If you multiply that figure times 10,000, you get $7.26 billion. That's billion with a B, not million. Now this is a crazy amount of money. $7.26 billion is higher than the gross domestic product of 43 different countries. But now, hold on a second. Jesus made up this parable, right? He could use any number he wants. So why did he go that high? I mean, it's almost ridiculous. Well, it's interesting. In the ancient Roman world, a talent was their largest unit of money. The the currency didn't have anything beyond that. But that's not all. For Greeks and Romans, 10,000 was the largest number in their vocabulary. So do you see it? Jesus is using the largest possible number and he's attaching that to the largest unit of money. So 10,000 talents was the biggest debt that people could easily understand. But again, What is the point of using that huge number? Well, Jesus is saying to each one of us, you owe a big debt to God. It's it's so big, you you can't even imagine how big this is. But now that's the spiritual side of this story, and let's not get ahead of ourselves. let's go back and read the next verse. It says, and since the servant could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now, if that seems a little strange to you, this this kind of thing did happen in the Jewish culture. And the servant desperately wants to avoid that fate. So in the next verse, the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, you and I both know that's not going to happen. There is no way he could ever, ever pay back that amount of money. It's hopeless. The servant is just stalling. But then we get to verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Surprisingly, the king has pity on this servant. And Jesus doesn't give us much of an explanation here. In fact, we don't know how the servant racked up this debt. It's kind of a mystery, isn't it? How do you spend $7.26 billion? But that's not the point. The point is, this servant had somehow been very foolish, and he didn't deserve this kindness, but the king showed it to him anyway. It's a very positive and heartwarming story so far. But then we get to that plot twist. is a jerk. But let's see just how much of a jerk he is. Uh, We saw what 10,000 talents is worth, but let's figure out the value of 100 denarii. First, one denarius was the daily wage for an average day worker. Work one day, get one denarius. And in today's terms, that means one denarius is worth about $121. That's hardly anything compared to one talent. But we still need to multiply this times 100. So 100 denarii equals around $12,100. And I have to say, that is a decent amount of money. Here in our time, as of today, $12,100 will get you several tanks of gas. (laughs) At least a few, for now. Uh, But in all seriousness, $12,100, that's a significant debt. If somebody owes you that much money, you're probably going to remember it. However, it is possible to pay back that amount of debt, right? That's actually very doable. And did you notice what servant number two said to servant number one? He said, have patience with me. I will pay you back. And does that sound familiar? It should, because that's exactly what servant number one said to the king. Except this time, servant number two actually could have repaid the money. But servant number one was completely unwilling to extend that same kindness that he had received from the king. And with this parable, Jesus is saying, if you are truly a citizen of God's kingdom, you're not going to act like that. Because God's kingdom is a place where debts are canceled and sins are forgiven. And this applies to our vertical relationship with God as he forgives us. And it also applies to our horizontal relationships with each other. But can we be honest for just a second? Forgiving others, it can be very hard. When somebody hurts you or they hurt someone you love, you kind of want that person to get what they deserve, right? And the truth is that desire is not all bad because it comes from a sense of justice, and that's one of God's characteristics. He is a God of justice, but he's also a God of love and kindness and forgiveness. And we have trouble trying to balance justice and forgiveness at the same time. God gets that balance right, but it doesn't come easy for us. So to help us grow in this area, let's look at just a few biblical truths about forgiveness. And some of these may be kind of surprising or counterintuitive. First, forgiveness is not the same thing as avoiding confrontation. If you are a non-confrontational person and somebody does you wrong, you might be tempted to just ignore it and move on. And why would you do that? Because it's uncomfortable to deal with the situation head on. It might even be scary. But listen, avoiding confrontation is not what Jesus told us to do. In this same chapter, Matthew 18, just a few verses earlier, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So don't ignore it. Deal with it. And why would Jesus say that? It's because he cares about you. He doesn't want to see you hurt. So don't ignore it. Sometimes people get in a position where they allow themselves to be hurt again and again. But don't let them get away with that. You know, if you can, you should confront that person directly. If it's not safe to do that, then get out of the situation and get help. That leads us to another biblical truth. Forgiveness does not mean that the other person shouldn't be held accountable The book of Romans is helpful here. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul quotes God himself. Back in the Old Testament, God said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. In other words, God does hold people accountable. And one of the ways he holds people accountable is through the governing authorities, through the police and the military and the judicial system. In Romans 13, verse 4, Paul says this, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. We forget this sometimes. When the ruling authorities work the way they're supposed to, they're a powerful force for good. They, they protect the vulnerable, they bring justice for those who are victimized. We shouldn't apologize for wanting wrongdoers to be held accountable. But like I said, in addition to God's justice, he's also very serious about forgiveness and mercy and grace. Psalm 145 says it very clearly, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And in the story of the big debt, Jesus is saying that God wants us to be like that. But what if you're not feeling it? What if that other person hurt you deeply? And it's not easy to let go of that anger and that bitterness, that desire for payback. In fact, it may seem impossible to let those feelings go. But here's another truth. Forgiveness is not a feeling. And you don't need to wait until you're not angry anymore. No, you can make this decision right now. Forgiveness is a conscious decision to give a gift that brings freedom. That's what Jesus was saying to Peter. You can make this decision over and over again, as many times as it takes And yes, that's tough, because a gift always costs something. You know what I mean by that, right? Whenever you give a gift, somebody has to pay. And normally, the recipient is not the one who pays, uh, because if they have to pay, it's not really a gift. So by definition, the giver is the one who pays. And there's no doubt about it, that gift may be very costly. It may be painful to give this gift. But you know what? There's freedom on the other side. And that works on two levels. First, when you forgive, you cancel that other person's debt and you give them freedom. But then, when you forgive the other person, you also free yourself. And how does that work? Well, if you hold in your resentment and your bitterness and your anger, that person is still hurting you. I heard someone say, it's like drinking rat poison and hoping the rats will die. It doesn't make sense. But when you let go of that resentment, you free your soul in ways that you might not even think of. This week, I read an article from John Hopkins Medicine, and they said, Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health. Lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels, and sleep. Reducing pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. That's very cool, isn't it? Forgiveness not only benefits the other person, it benefits you. But you know, despite all of those positives... Some of us may still struggle to forgive because it doesn't seem right to let them off the hook. It doesn't seem fair. And I completely understand that. If we're talking about what's fair, that other person doesn't deserve your forgiveness. But as long as we're talking about what's fair, we need to remember that none of us deserve God's forgiveness. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your motivation. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgive others in the same way that God forgave you. And you know, you will never master this skill until you come to terms with the amazing gift that God gave you and how much you don't deserve it. Let's break this down for a second. First, every one of us have sinned. We've all broken God's laws and commandments. We've all done the wrong that we should not have done. And when we sinned, we racked up a debt against God. And not just a little debt. It's more like that 7.26 billion dollar debt. far more than we could ever pay. But with our sin, with that debt. Somebody had to pay, and it could be you or me, but when we pay, that means death, eternal death in hell, total separation from God for eternity. However, the good news of the kingdom is that someone else stepped in and paid that debt for us. That person was Jesus. He came into this world and he went to the cross and he took our punishment on his shoulders and he paid the debt that we never could have paid. And because of him, we have the opportunity to receive this indescribable gift, the gift of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. And if you have given your life to Jesus, your debt has been canceled. Your sins are forgiven. So it all comes down to this because of God's mercy, we don't get what we deserve. Mercy means you don't get the punishment that you should have gotten. And here's the other side. Because of God's grace, we get what we don't deserve. Grace is when you receive a gift that you were not supposed to get. And so when we receive God's mercy and his grace, what happens? Well, the only thing that makes sense is that we extend that same mercy and grace to others. The only thing that makes sense is that we don't relate to each other based on what we deserve. Back in our parable, servant number one was not willing to operate that way. Let's go back and read that again. Matthew 18, verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. That's the conclusion of the story. It's easy to understand, but it's a little startling, isn't it? Because according to Jesus here, forgiveness is essential to our own salvation. And we may find that truth uncomfortable, but it's not just in this passage. It's all over the Bible. For example, back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, If you do not forgive others their sins... Your Father will not forgive your sins. But if God is so forgiving, why would He not forgive us for being unforgiving? Well, it's a little challenging to wrap our heads around this, but here's the basic idea. Our God is a God of compassion and mercy. And because of that, He can't accept as His own anyone who is without compassion and mercy. But just to be clear, we shouldn't read this parable as a do this or else kind of story. Because here with this story, Jesus just states a reality. He says, this is what life looks like in God's kingdom. Forgiven people forgive people. If we're not willing to forgive, we should probably question whether or not we're truly citizens of God's kingdom. And again, I am not saying that it's easy to forgive. And some of you have been wronged in ways that I could never understand. And the truth is, on your own strength, you may never have the power to forgive. But that's okay. Because even if you can't forgive on your own willpower, the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to forgive. If you're a follower of Jesus... God's Holy Spirit lives in you, and he enables you to do things that you could never do on your own. I want to close by giving you a real-life example. Right now in Ukraine, we're seeing something that many people are calling a genocide. But back in 1994, there was a genocide that happened in the country of Rwanda, and it was horrific. There was a militant group of Rwandans known as the Hutus and the Hutus hated a different group of Rwandans known as the Tutsis. So Hutus hated the Tutsis and over a period of about 100 days the Hutus murdered around 850,000 Tutsis. It's one of the bloodiest massacres in history. This is a picture of the Kigali Genocide Memorial. And about 250,000 Tutsis are buried just in this one site. Well, according to estimates, uh, there may have been up to one million Hutus who were involved in these killings. And, And why did they do that? Well, one of the killers said, the Tutsis needed to die because they were weak. Well, after that 100 days of horror, many of the Hutus were arrested. About 120,000 of them were put in prison. But the problem was the prison system had a capacity of only 10 to 20,000 people. So massive overcrowding. The government had a dilemma. Uh, they had more killers in their prisons than they could handle. And they said, what do we do with them? Do we kill them too? Do we give them the justice that they deserve? Because if we try to do that, there's not enough land here to bury them all. Well, full justice wasn't going to happen. So as time went by, the government landed on a plan. They decided if the murderers confessed and they seemed to have a change of heart, they could be released So tens of thousands of killers went back to their villages to face the families of those they killed. And in villages all over Rwanda, community courts were formed. They set up under trees in many of those places. And killers were asked to confess to their communities. And the victims were asked to at least consider forgiving the killers amazingly, many of those people chose to forgive. I want you to hear from just one of those people, a man named Pius. Pius is a pastor, and he shared some of his thoughts about these events. I want to read you what he said. I lost many family members, friends, brothers, and sisters. I had planted a church of 150 members, and most of them were killed. And after that, I was confused. I didn't know what to do, where to go, where to start. I was angry with God. I hated everyone. Life was meaningless to me. I kept on going to the church. I could pray, but I had a broken heart. I had bitterness in my heart. I didn't want to see anybody from the group of killers. I told God, I want to move on. I want to minister. But God told me, if you want to serve me, You have to forgive those who did wrong against you. It was impossible for me to forgive them. I felt it was impossible. It was too hard. But I can tell you, forgiveness is possible. But it's not easy. It's not easy to forgive those people who do wrong to you. I said, how can I forgive those people? The Holy Spirit told me, begin to pray for them. So I began to pray for them but it was too hard for me to speak blessings on them. Those who killed my parents, those who killed my sisters, it wasn't easy. But I kept praying, and later on, the Lord set me free. I was able to forgive them, and I thank God because he set me free. I'm free now. I have joy. I have peace. I can share food with them, those who killed my family members. So forgiveness is possible, and forgiveness is a must for us Christians. You don't need to keep anger and bitterness in your heart because that will destroy you. That's amazing, isn't it? But that's not all. Today, Pius ministers to murderers in prison. He leads the Good News Jail and Prison Ministry in Rwanda Now, I will admit, this is an extreme example of what we're talking about today. But Pius shows us what God can do. The Holy Spirit enables us to forgive, just as in Christ, God forgave us. So, where do you need to go from here? Maybe somebody came to mind immediately with this topic, and you know you need to forgive that person. Maybe you already have forgiven that person and you need to let them know. Have a conversation. Write a letter. Or it could be that you're not ready to forgive yet. And if that's the case, you can pray. Pray for that person. That's a great place to start. But as we wrestle with this issue, let's not forget the message of this parable. God's kingdom is a place where debts are canceled and sins are forgiven let's pray. Father, this is tough. This this may be one of the toughest things you've asked us to do, but Lord, help us to realize the great debt that we owe to you and the amazing gift of salvation that's possible through Jesus. Lord, I pray that this will sink in, that we will grow to appreciate the gift that you've given to us, and that we will extend that kindness to others.